Hey listeners, you're tuning in to a podcast about kids in the hall that easily veers off into mature subject matter and includes a whole heck of a lot of swearing. Enjoy the show, eh? Welcome to Kith and Tell, the Kids in the Hall podcast that makes all your Canadian sketch show dreams come true. We review every episode with witty banter and unmissable segments like There Isn't Enough Plaid in This Sketch and Don't You Think Dave Foley Would Look Better with a Mustache? I definitely yes, do not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Kalina Makordov. I am joining you guys from London, England, and I am joined by Han Seideman in Prince Rupert, Canada. Oi! And Trevor Record and Stu Dara oh, Darisi, oh my, let's say how that. many times in Vancouver, <laughs> Canada. Hi. Hi, team. Hello, Kalorna. <laughs> Kalorna Macorno. Okay, so, so we'll be reviewing episode twelve of season one, which aired on January twenty third, nineteen ninety. Nineties babies out there. So let's kick off with our sketch rundown. We've got Kathy's turning over, where all the secretaries all gather around Kathy to cheer her on as she types her way to making the dial on the back of her head turn from all nines back to zero. What the fuck? <laughs> um, uh, mood swings. Bruce McCullough returns at the short-tempered husband Gordon from the infamous Salty Ham sketch. He comes home to wife Fran, Scott Thompson, who catches his bad mood but conveniently passes it on in a nasty phone call to her sister, who just doesn't send her Christmas cards on time. Uh, um, the worst. Then we've got Billy Dreamer. Uh, Kevin McDonald is a lazy bank clerk who gets told off by his boss and dreams of just being an average guy with a big chair. <laughs> folk music. Dave Foley triumphs the resurgent of folk music, but gives up and smashes his guitar in praise of rock. And then, who's gay in Hollywood? Mark and Scott play over-the-top celebrity gossipers Western Esther Hazy and Virgil, deciding who is and isn't gay behind the scenes in Hollywood. Spoiler, Pluto the dog isn't gay because he's just a cartoon. <laughs> and Ascura, the gentle shark. Yes. Kevin stumbles upon a humble inn where all the guests have a tale of being Ugh. mutilated by Scura, the gentle shark. He's got the teeth, but not the heart to finish him off. Oh, such a good show. <laughs> All right, so oh, Hans is gonna, let's, uh. <laughs> <laughs> let's dive in with the segment I am going to call Railing Against the Canadian Dream. So there's a lot of sketches uh, throughout the series that uh, center around mind-numbing office jobs. So bankers, secretaries, and businessmen, to name a few. So this time around, we've got Kevin as Billy Dreamer, <laughs> who really sucks at his job as a bank clerk and is ripped apart by his boss and then spend his night watching TV with his straight-laced, boring friends in the basement. But, you know, rather than dreaming of being in a band or having a kick-ass job, he just fantasizes of being an average worker, like maybe seventh in the tier. <laughs> just an average guy. And maybe just having a bigger chair in his basement to watch TV on. So I'm just wondering what you guys made of this sketch. Do you think it's just making fun of high achievers? Should we all just settle for, a, you know, a bigger chair? I... First of all, I think that I like this sketch probably the most out of everyone. But I, I don't think it's really <laughs> against high achievers. I, I really just interpreted it as like the joke is Billy Dreamer has such low ambition that like for him, it's wildly out, out of his realm of possibility to have 
like a, a a certain respect from his boss and be considered an average employee. Like that's something <laughs> he dreams about. That's all. Maybe because he's wasting all his time dreaming. Dream. <laughs> oh, or you know, on Stu, the flip side, I think, I think you figured I think... it out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, or, or, you know, is it fair to assume that just all of these office workers, all our secretaries, all our bank clerks are just all they're working for is that bigger chair. Kalina, so we shouldn't I, actually treat them with respect. Fuck, I accept, <laughs> that's I dark. You're reading a lot into this. I, Kalina, I accept the premise yeah. of the segment, but I'm really not sure that these sketches in particular kind of exemplify that form. It, you know, you mentioned it, but I think if anything, the cold open sketch with the secretaries are literally typing machines with odometers better fits that kid's kind of <laughs> business is evil and grinds you down and makes you a cog in the machine kind of philosophy. But, um, but I mean, that being said, I did enjoy Billy's really low achieving dreams and his friend's apparent willingness to kind of indulge his daydreams because they're all equally pathetic. Um, and it kind of explains how Billy could have gotten to be the way he is. I feel like, uh, this is maybe going to sound really bougie on my part, but I feel like I've met people like this before <laughs> where they're just kind of incomprehensibly incapable, but they have a whole ecosystem of similarly incapable friends that skew their baseline for what's acceptable. And they all just self reinforce <laughs> yeah. each other and like allow themselves to exist but in a per like a persistent state of patheticness. <laughs> hold hold Guys, the phone though. Hans. Because Hans, I love it. You, you know, even his friends have bigger dreams than him. They're like at least dreaming about like if they could all be in a rock and roll band together. Yeah. Mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I like they, Hans's like, confession that maybe he has once met a stoner being like, I think I've met them in <laughs> passing or something. <laughs> maybe at the grocery store. No, people that maybe don't have an excuse Maybe if we really hard one day, we could have a podcast about kids in the hall. Yeah, they're not cool <laughs> like us. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I've probably suitably roasted. All right, all right. <laughs> you feeling salty there, Hamboy? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Stu, you got anything to add? Uh, I really want to hear Trevor give us a Billy Dreamer because I think he would he would deliver yeah. that real well. Trevor, do it. Billy Dreamer. Yes. See, I want that to lull me to sleep every night. That is the creepiest thing in the world. <laughs> uh, that, that was exactly it. As I think it was just an excuse to go, Billy Dreamer. <laughs> I think it was just a really like cheap and dirty punchline for like, you think it's going to be that he's the boss, but he just wants to touch the car on the boss's desk, which was also a moment I love where he's just like, don't, don't touch that, Billy. Nope. And like Kevin McDonald's kind of... Like awkward straight face acting of like, just non-verbally with his face being like, I shouldn't touch the car, and then touches the car again and keeps like just sort of messing with things in this weird way that it makes it seem like you're not sure if you're getting through to him. Um, and that your his daydream is actually just being able to play the, with the car, yeah, just like un to, uninterrupted. Yeah, he's just like I just want to be like only chastised a little bit and get to futz around with toys. I guess his boss and respects him enough that it's okay if he plays with a toy that it's car. okay to dick around with a toy car. Oh my god! But now we're talking about it. I don't know if the message is that dreams are stupid as or not. Like, is it that the dreams keep you shackled to mundane bullshit, or is it that the people are easily satisfied and that's okay? 
I think it depends. I like, I like that. Do we, do we ask the question, did Dave Foley write this skit or did Kevin <laughs> McDonald write the skit? Ooh. <laughs> oh. So sticking, sticking with office jobs, you guys, I want to use our second segment to ask again, what the fuck about that cold open sketch Kathy's turning over? So there are so few kids in the hall sketches where I'm just not able to accept the weirdness. And I think this is actually the only one and actually start to question whether I get it. And I have to admit, I did not get this one. Disgust. Oh. Hans. Yeah. Yeah. I had, a, I had so many feelings about this one. Um, when this sketch first started, my first reaction uh, when they show the odometer was I laughed. And then immediately w- I, that was followed by this super creepy feeling about like what this sketch is saying about secretaries. Um, but they're mindless drones. Mm. I, you know, I think the poking fun at office workers works when it's business people because um, they're they're kind of ripe for being brought down a peg, especially in that kind of hyperinflated eighties, nineties, you know, you know, big business kind of. Uh, context but double-breasted um, suits <laughs> yeah totally you know like the american psycho like everyone trading business cards and acting all important like taking those guys down is always going to be funny and like appropriate but kind of dismissing all of these women and it is you know all women in this scene well or men dressed as women um it really felt like punching down and, and mm. like just sexist honestly um and it, it didn't really fit for me with how i think of the kids politics but um, but then the funny thing, w- then again, was that uh, with Dave's final consolation, um, it kind of made me wonder whether this is supposed to be an, like an extended menopause metaphor. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, again, I had a, like a lot of weird feelings. I, I still haven't quite sussed them out, but uh, I, I, I am left feeling a little uncomfortable in the end. Look, I Hans, think you're they're just gonna this, take Hans. down the normies sometimes, though. If if the kids in the hall yeah. were around today, they'd have a popular Facebook page that makes fun of normies. <laughs> mm, possibly. <laughs> I I think you're you're overreading it. Like you have to remember, there are a bunch of twenty year old stoner skids from Canada when they wrote this in the like early early nineties. I just see it as part of like the kith alchemy. It's like it's kind of office culture is dumb. Women are mysterious. Things are weird, and there is sort of magical realism, <laughs> and there's like a little bit of heartfelt. Like Dave, legi- Dave legitimately consoles her, being like, "You feeling a little down?" And she doesn't. Kathy doesn't even know she's feeling down yet. She's just like, oh, "I just kind of expected more from the odometer turning over," which is also <laughs> never explained. It yeah. just is. Well, you um, assume that they all have one. I, I mean, have, and one of the you have, assume they all have one, and the thing I love too is that it's really implied to be like an otherwise boring morning. And they're just like, well, mm. we got to get rid of the monotony somehow. We'll see Kathy turn over. And they all like cheer and get really excited and then like <laughs> slowly disperse afterwards. I, I, it's like having one of those office like birthday parties. Everyone yeah, gets yeah, together yeah. for like 10 minutes of mandatory singing and cake and then like back to work drones. Oh, yeah. but people are stoked for the for the cake because they're all like, oh, yeah, no, no. Tom's my best friend. Tom's for sure my best friend. That's why we have to sing this cake. I love mandatory cake. <laughs> I love mandatory cake. And then you're like, yeah, I guess I got to go do work. <laughs> I mean, have you guys ever actually seen a car's odometer turn over? Because it is basically like this, where you're very excited, and then it turns over, and <laughs> that's, just, that's just it. That's just it, yeah. It's like, oh. It just keeps going. Yeah. So, Trevor, Trevor, views on this sketch. Oh, look, I mean, that's my take on it. I don't even know that it goes as... <laughs> so, so, you know, know when that a car's odometer is boring. Saying, like, I think it's like, what if that, like, let down moment 
of like a, an odometer turn, turning over happened in your work career. That, that's all I, I take this sketch to mean. Okay. Great. <laughs> well, well, moving on. Hot take, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was such a fuck you, Kalina. You're just like, great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, uh, I have a short fuse this weekend. All right, moving on. Oh. What I started to notice about this episode is how they've started to move from sketches that look like they're built for the stage to ac- actually using TV sets and different camera work. And I noticed this a bit more with the Kathy turning over sketch and just a little bit with the score of the gentle shark, which I know Hans is going to call me out on, but fuck mm-hmm. you. Um, so <laughs> how do you think this shift has influenced the episode? And you know, do you think that this is sort of like, ha- have you noticed this prior to episode 12? And I know we've looked ahead. I know that does progress, but I think this is where it sort of started to click in my head that they're going from, you know, doing doing sketch and improv on stage to being like, oh, wait, we have a show. (laughs) I really appreciate that you pointed that out because I feel like we've touched on that in the past. I'm thinking about the um, Let Me In skit where it cuts cuts to the Mm. rain rig and we're like, that was the best part of it when we realized that it was all (laughs) fake. But I've I've never really thought about it as in terms of like the narrative style shifting with the medium. And I I think now that I have, I'm going to try to look at it a little bit closer. I think for sure the production value goes up, but... I don't really have a strong opinion on the quality of the skits as it pertains to stage versus TV media. Because um, I think you can definitely do more with TV, but they also, like, they don't really seem to have a lot of experience with it. They definitely play around with the format more, but, like, it comes across as a little Bush League to me. And they definitely don't have a super large budget. Uh mm. Honestly, I imagine that Lauren Michaels keeps them on like a probationary budget for the first season that consists of just whatever loose change she had in his pocket when he takes them out for lunch. He like throws it on the table and he's like, go make a TV show. (laughs) Make daddy some money. Yeah, right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I I, score. First of all, I I just want to say for the record, by the way, score it. I think they were in, they were making it look intentionally bad almost, you know? Like it's yeah. so hamily bad. I'm like clearly they they were half-assing this on purpose almost, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like someone's going to explode if I keep saying how bad Skura was. Boy, Skura sucked. Skura. <laughs> you have something the to say? The whole time honest? I was just thinking about how uncomfortable Mark McKinney must have been sitting that way in the couch where it just looked like he was half a body. <laughs> anyway. That's actually his natural environment. He was never been more comfortable than he was at that moment. He's a centaur with a couch bottom and he actually has to fight it in all of his <laughs> oh, other that scenes. That makes so much to sense. To me, the most lazy part of this was both Scott and Bruce that are just wearing Harvard sweaters with like their <laughs> arms clearly inside the sweater. Oh, he lost our arms. <laughs> Because they just got whatever was left from like eight seasons ago on SNL. It was just like, we got two half of a sweaters. <laughs> All right, Hans. All right, Well, Hans, I, d- I didn't ahead. notice it as much in Skura, which is definitely still like very stagey. Um, but I do think that the whole TV production side starts to show more in sketches like Billy Dreamer and Kathy's Turning Over, where there's there's not obvi- there's obviously not a live audience, you know. Um, Dave's folk sketch was still very stage focused. The Who's Gay sketch, uh, moods, all of those felt like they could have um, just been on stage, and I think they were filmed on stage. Um, 
So I know where you're going with this, but I think you might have jumped the gun on predicting the transition to a more TV-centered production. But um, uh, talking about Lauren Michaels just got me thinking, you know, at this time in the very early 90s, would uh, SNL have been doing uh, pre-recorded bits at all? Or would their show still have been entirely stage bits? Because I almost wonder if... Isn't that the whole premise of Saturday Night Live? Well, exactly. But Saturday Night Live in the 2000s started doing... (laughs) pre-recorded bits right and it no, almost they did, the, wonder... they did the fake commercials i think even in the 80s because uh-huh. they would they? do okay. the fake commercial after the cold open monologue so they would have oh, a little maybe. bit of time to set the stage i don't know when that started but i think it was pretty it just early. made me wonder whether whether this was basically lauren michaels throwing a bit of a trial balloon up with kids in the hall to see if that format could work and having you know a mix of live and and recorded bits uh. um before moving it over to snl or whether it was just copying the formula i'm not, I'm, I'm genuinely not that's, sure but that's I a good question we should we should, we should do some research and come back to that uh. All right, so before we go, let's choose our stand-up sketch and worst sketch. I know, based on how good or bad the episode was. So let's uh, give it a rating out of five if we can. Keep it short and sweet, Kith Pals. Stu, start us off. All right. I actually really like the folk music sketch. It's one of the ones that really, really? stuck with me. Like We talk about a couple of skits that like we think about when we think about Kids in the Hall, and that's one of the ones I always think about. Really? Um, I find that Dave Foley's skits can, solo skits can usually go one of two ways. He either like oh. totally nails the timing with his straight face shtick, or he comes across as insufferably above it all. I'm also thinking about the, uh, the Foot Locker monologue, which also kind of worked for me in a, in a previous episode. Uh, I think this future one episode. Is it a future episode? No, it was no, a past one. It's the one where he's. Oh, no, uh, that's right. We're in the future again. Okay, got Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> We're back in the future. Remember the McCullough timeline. <laughs> so I, I think this one works. I just I think it's really funny and the the gag where he smashes the guitar really work. I'm gonna give that four out of five Helens. Yes. And as a note, we mm. never do the ratings, and I fucking love that. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to give a, sh- a shout out to Mood Swings, which I don't think was particularly hilarious, but love that Gordon Fran semi-civil depiction <laughs> of domestic mm-hmm. emotional abuse. Gotta have 3.5 offhanded put-downs out of 5 on that one. Uh, and the worst for me is Who's Gay in Hollywood. I love Scott Thompson. I love the stuff he does. I hate Wester Esterhaze, Weston Esterhazy. He's the worst. I hate it. I hate how long the scene goes on. I hate how poorly the material has aged. I hate their gross mouths. Well, they're doing like, they're that so, on purpose, though. They're so wet, and I, I hate it. The guys are supposed to be gross. They mean for their mouths to be gross. Oh, but it's... But it's... There's so much mouth. The, glisten, the glistening is what gets me. It's the oh, glistening. I feel yeah. like someone came and, like, misted them to keep it extra moist. It's, there's hate. definitely drool, not spittle. Oh, la, 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 I hate it. <laughs> All right, Hans. I think I know what you're about to talk about. Not just well, because I'm looking at the notes. <laughs> I'll start by agreeing with Stu Ooh. that uh, the gay Hollywood is the who's gay in Hollywood is the worst sketch. Definitely, uh, those uh, both of those characters I find just like so revolting, which I know is the point, but it doesn't make it fun to watch. But I mean, getting on to the my favorite sketch. I mean, I think it has to be Billy Dreamer for sure. And uh, <laughs> no, of course not. It's Scora the Gentle Shark, what? you rubes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm furious. Um, <laughs> I remember when we kind of first uh, thought of this podcast and we were sitting around sharing our favorite sketches and pulling up YouTube vid- vids and sharing them with everyone. And none of you had fond memories of Skura, but boy, <laughs> howdy, do I ever have some. 
That um, is the most I, Hans take ever. Being like, oh, I remember you all hated it, but I like it even more now. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it, that's true. This goes um, even beyond mayonnaise, Hans. This is yeah. like, <laughs> this is like bloody mayonnaise. This is oh. so much better. Um, I mean, I, 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 I love, I love, 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 love this sketch right from the moment Kevin walks in and receives a friendly greeting from a horrifically injured young man and his <laughs> wife, um, all oh. the way up to the sing along at the end. And, and the, the reason I think I love this at this sketch so much is just all of this. It's just so full of like great details and lines <sighs> like, um, like this line. We felt Skura had really opened up to us. Yeah, and then he tore into us again and again and again. <laughs> um, or the and, and from those same two, Bruce and Scott, then when his belly was filled with our hot flesh, he suddenly stopped. We'd have been better off dead, but he just didn't have the heart to do it. The teeth, but not the heart. Oh. And this detail that I don't think any of you noticed, but I absolutely love, is I that totally the parrot, the parrot on Captain Mark's shoulder, is only the legs, and the rest has been bitten off, and uh. oh, the giant blood and water splashes, and Skura's like lame fin just like flopping around. Oh, his chest. Oh. I, just, I love it! I love it! I love Hans, it! I love I'm it! I love so it! I'm so worried about so you, man. Uh. I know. See, see, I okay. So, like, in full disclosure, I mean, as I, we've mentioned before, like, we we have show notes. And all I saw was Skura, and I totally expected, Hans, for you to rip into it. I did not expect you to just, like, completely have a love-in for this awful, love. awful sketch. Yeah. It's so macabre and weird. <laughs> we would be better off dead, and Hans like, Haha, you would. <laughs> <laughs> it's all true. Right. Okay. Trevor, uh, so what do you got? I don't think I need to dig into Hans for Skura, because we all know and agree that Skura sucks. I want to take issue with you, Stu, though. <laughs> Folk music seemed really half-assed in my mind, too, okay? Like, first of all, David clearly didn't give, an, like, enough of a shit to give examples of actual folk songs, even. Like, he's like, skip to Maloo, and it's like, no folk musician <laughs> fan cares about that song. He plays a G, a G chord. It's cool. <laughs> that song was bullshit. I, he was doing a parody of something he didn't even understand. It was just so half-assed. I did kind of like when he just starts intentionally tuning the guitar until the strings break. That was the only good part it's, of it. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. That was good. That, that was some good songs. Um, but Mood Swings is definitely my favorite here. Um, I really just kind of like this conceit where it's like he's planned all along to give his bad mood to his wife. Uh, and then it works. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, for me, too, mm -hmm. it's it's got to be Mood Swings. They're just, mm -hmm. as you guys, so relatable as a dysfunctional couple. And I know I always feel better when I pass on my bad mood. It gets 3.5 late Christmas cards out of five for me. <laughs> yes. We also have an announcement to make. We want to receive listener mail from you. You can send us emails to contact at kithintel.ca. We'll read them on the air. Any sort of comments, questions, or love letters directed at David Foley, who listens to every episode religiously, can be sent there. That's contact at kithintel.ca. Also, follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is at kithintelpod. That's at k-i-t-h and telpod. And every week, Hans uploads new hilarious Kids in the Hall gifts. You should follow it for the gifts. That's the main reason we're doing this project. No one cares about our reviews, but the gifts, they're golden. And if you're still using the garbage fire that is Facebook, you can also follow us there. 
like our page at Kith and Tell. All right. Well, that's it for episode 12. Join us next week for episode 13, which will be hosted Bye. by Trevor Record. Thanks for listening to Kith and Tell. Bye. Bye.